0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 70. Psalm 70, eh, 70, 70, verse 5. So I find it marvelously comforting, I guess in my own preacher sort of way, that I wrestled with this message for two weeks. It was supposed to be last week's message, but I could not get it, um, I could not find the clarity that I was looking for, and I didn't want to say what the Scripture didn't say or what I wasn't absolutely convinced the Scripture was teaching and so literally at the last moment, I flip-flopped. And what was supposed to be today was last week. That gave me an extra week to, to work through this. And what was, what was strangely comforting is that the, the spark or the, um, the fodder for today's message was, came from a, from a sermon preached for the first time in 1871, which is 148 years ago. But even cooler than that, october 29th, eighteen seventy one Charles haddon Spurgeon preached a message called pleading with God in prayer and and the message was was impacting it was it was solid and so God used that to start to to redirect some of my thinking and what i what i come to to do today what, what where i came to is this that um we sometimes want to say, we want God to say one thing, but we we really don't need to make Him say anything, we just need to listen to what He says. Does that make sense? And so we got to stop trying to, to maneuver to, to get God to, to be what we like Him to be, and we just need to let Him be who He is. And so Psalm 70 verse 5 is where He kicks this thing off, and I'm going to start as well, and then I'm going to deviate just a little bit into my own thing, but... Uh, Before I get into the message, I want to say thank you for praying for art party. That was last night. Um, We brought the box last Thursday. We set it all up or partially set it up. We had to go back on Friday and Saturday to finish it. But um, God confirmed when we first got there that it was the right thing to do. He confirmed it because we carried this big black box in. There were three giant eight-foot boxes, if you saw them over here. We, We had to actually cut them in half to get them through the doors, So we we carried them in in pieces, put them back together, and the last thing that we brought in was the cross. And we set the cross next to it. And one of the girls that was working there who also had a booth, she came up as we were leaving, and she said, Oh, I'm so glad you brought a cross. And then she went on to say that she really was hoping and wanting to get closer to God, that she strayed and that she was... Was, uh, was, was so encouraged because the cross had come and reminded her and we spent the next 30 minutes just talking about Jesus and her, her relationship and how, how, how he pursues her. And it was, it was the most beautiful expression of God's confirmation that you, the place we need to be the most is the place where the church is least likely to be. Can I say that again? The place we need to be the most is the place the church is least likely to be. And I say that to say there are a lot of places the church is least likely to be, but Jesus is already there. He is already at work. And if I could, if I could put this in human terms, it's almost as, as if Jesus is walking down the street going, Will any of my people come and help me out here? Will any of my people come and be Jesus with skin on? Because the thing that makes the gospel make sense in so many circumstances is when another human being has been radically changed by that gospel, when there's been a transformation and they can say, I can testify to what God has done because he's done it in me. And so last night was a, uh, was a God-ordained time. We have no idea the eternal impact. And I'm not even going to guess. I'm just going to say that I know that God was at work. I know that some people went through and it it probably meant nothing to them. Other people, I'm very confident, went through and there was conviction of the Holy Spirit. And God has implanted His mark upon them. And at some point, He's going to send you or me or somebody else to come and make the message clear. So thank you for your faithfulness in that. Thank you for your obedience. Uh, It truly was uh, a blessing. I was was kind of... Well, I won't even say it. All right. So Psalm uh, Psalm 70, verse... Uh, verse 5, the scripture says, Yet I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. This is the prayer of David. This is, this is one verse in one of his psalms that, that, that expresses his ability or, or his belief, his dependence upon the one thing that is most important in our lives when it comes to being Jesus in the world. And that is that Jesus essentially said, not in these terms, but in my terms that are, are reflected in the Scripture. Did that make any sense? Let me say it differently. Essentially, Jesus said, it's not you, it's me. You know, when you break up with your girlfriend, that's the line you like to use, right? Look, it's not you, it's me. That's what I was trying. I was trying to be silly and trying to pick up off of that. But that's really what Jesus says. He goes, look, it's not you. Jesus said, it's me. And if you recognize that it's me, all you got to do is plug into me, follow behind me, and I'll do all the work, and I'll just use you for the little bits and pieces that need some clarity. And this will be a beautiful partnership. Folks, I want to tell you, I believe with every fiber of my body that we are here for a purpose and that we are here for the holy purpose of introducing people into the kingdom of God, inviting people into His family. In fact, I've decided I'm going to stop uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stop, but I'm going to shift my, my words from saying that we are sharing God's story to we're inviting people to the party. We're inviting people to the, to the family. Because for some reason or another, sharing God's story just seems so, so difficult. It seems intimidating, but all of us can invite, right? How many of y'all have invited somebody in the last week to anything? Let me see your hand. You invited them to your house, you invited them for dinner, you invited them to go to the movies, that's right, right? So what is an invitation? It's simply saying, hey, would you like to come? You know what is implicit in that invitation? The recognition that they may say yes and they may say no, but you're still going to ask. An invitation is just that. It's a non-threatening way to let somebody choose to be a part of what you're doing. So let's just start inviting people to God's family. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 9. It says, the harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers who are few. I'm convinced that if we would start inviting people to the family of God, we would see more people than we ever dreamed imaginable come into the family of God. Now, God can do whatever he wants to. He'll use who he wants to, but he wants to use you. And here's the most beautiful part about it in my mind. He's already got you where he needs you. Whew, I'm going to get excited here. I brought my preaching boost today. So he's already got you where he wants you. He's got you there. You're not where you are by accident. Some of you have been praying to leave where you are, but God's keeping you there because he's got work for you to do. If you want to get out of there so bad, do the work that he wants you to do, then he'll move you. Amen? But here's the thing. Everyone is significant in God's kingdom. It doesn't matter if you're on the low part of the totem pole or if you're the high part of the totem pole. It doesn't matter if you've got lots of skills or no skills. The skills you need is the power of God in your life because it's not you, it's Him. So how do we how do we arrest this power? How do we capture it? How do we how do we live and walk in the power of God on a daily basis? Because I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, my first thought is not—I mean, it is—but it, it's not always naturally. Hey, I want to serve Jesus today. My first thought in the morning, quite frankly, is one of two things: either got to use the restroom. I said that nicely, by the way. It wasn't as nice in my head. I laughed, but I just saved you the. the the second thing is this, can I get a few more seconds of sleep? Those are, how many besides me, are, those are the two thoughts in your mind, right? And I found, I found that those two are at war every single morning. It's like, oh, I want to sleep, but I got to pee. I got to sleep. I mean, I just, I did it, didn't I? Sorry. <laughs> oh, I had it, I had it, I had it, and then just boom, busted through it. But it's true. In the morning, my first thought has to be captured and has to be, has to be focused. Jesus, today I want to serve you. Anybody but me. My third thought is this. I really want some f- coffee. Yes. Right? Amen. I like the people who say, look, you can talk to me before my coffee, but that's at your own risk. <laughs> you, you want to mess with me before my coffee? Fine, but the answer is not going to be the one you want. So, because we're human, we wake up and we have to adjust our thoughts. We have to adjust our focus. And if we can learn to do this, by the way, there's two things that have to happen in us for us to adjust our thought and adjust our focus. One is a matter of discipline. Two is a matter of heart. It's discipline and it's heart. Those two things, when we can align those with kingdom-purposed things, everything changes. And so I'll just tell you, I struggle with this. Now, I, I, I'd like to think that I, I'm doing better at it. But because I'm a human being and because I like coffee, I struggle with this. But don't get caught up in the form. Don't get caught up in the, 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 the how to do it as much as the this is what I must do. Because when you get into a, a mode of, okay, today the most important thing that I'm going to do is love God. And the most important way to love God is to love people then you're you're pointing in the right direction, right? And so David, though, here gives us a glimpse of the powerhouse of being in tune with God and walking on a a, a step-by-step where he wants and how he wants. The key is pleading prayer. That's the key. You say, well, what in the heck is pleading prayer? Why don't you just say prayer? Because there's different kinds of prayer. There's what I would call conversational prayer, which we should be in through a daily basis. The scripture says pray without ceasing, right? That is more understood to be, at least in my mind, as, as conversation prayer. It's the kind of prayer that you have when you are driving down the road and you bless somebody in Jesus' name because they cut you off. That's the kind of, That's okay, I'm just joking, but it usually goes like this, Lord Jesus, help me right? And there's oftentimes praise with that prayer. Like when you go through the Chick-fil-A line, you finally get the the, the whiff of the Chick-fil-A that's passed into your car and you start praising right there. Jesus, thank you for chicken, right? So, I mean, we we got all these, but that's a casual, that's a relational, that's a conversational. There's nothing wrong with that. We should have that kind of interaction with our Father. But there's a difference between conversational prayer and pleading prayer. Conversational prayer is relational, Pleading prayer is down to business. And I would submit to you that most of us don't consider pleading prayer with the priority that it should have in our lives. Because the truth is, with pleading prayer, we are actually moving the arm of God. We are bending His ear and we're honoring Him as much as we could possibly honor Him when we plead with Him. And so what is pleading prayer? Pleading prayer is coming before God with a, with a, a prosecution mentality. The, the Greek word for, for prayer that's, that's, that's got heavy use in the New Testament is, is a word that's, uh, that, that's a root word that we would also get our word prosecute from. Proskenuo, and there's several my I mean, it's, it's several forms, but at the end of the day, what we need to know is prosecute. Now, what is a pros- to prosecute something? It means that you intently are saying, look, these are the facts, this is the deal, this is what we're saying, and you're coming before God almost as if you are a defense attorney or a prosecutor. Now, listen very, very carefully. You are not manipulating God. You are not getting God to do something that he doesn't want to do, but because you have a good enough case. No, it's not like that at all. You're actually honoring God the most because you are coming to him with the thing that is on his heart, the thing he's passionate about, the thing that he wants more than you want, and you're simply aligning yourself with him through this this pleading your case to God. Does that make sense? Now, I used to reject this uh, years ago because of this very case. Because I used to hear people say, you just stand before God. You just tell Him, God, you said. And I go, whoa, whoa, that's a wrong attitude. Let me tell you, if you get a cocky attitude with God, He'll sit you down. God doesn't do that. But you don't have to have a cocky attitude or a prideful heart to plead with God. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Because you start pleading prayer the way a wrestler in the Greco-Roman world, would begin a wrestling match. They would not go in like the WWE do. They come in with all their robes and all their, you know, their boots that come up to here, and they got their Speedos that really shouldn't be on there. You know, I mean, they got all their, their chains and everything, and they come in with an entourage. They're like, yeah, we're here to wrestle. No, Greco-Roman world was totally different. They'd come to the match, and they would strip off. And they would step into the ring or to the, to the, to the, rest, uh, to the onto the mat, essentially, with nothing. Why? Because if he came in with something for the opponent to hold on to, it would put him down. And it would cause him to lose, not win. When we come before God, we must begin to come before God. Or the the very first step is to come before him and bear ourselves before him. Listen to what Psalmist David said. Psalm 70, verse 5. He says, yet I am poor and needy. He comes before God and he says, oh God, search me. Know my heart. Test my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. He's saying before God, God, get into the cracks and crevices. In fact, I think he's even doing more than that. He's saying, David is saying, I know what's in the cracks and the crevices, and I confess them before you. It's giving God the right to get inside of your box. You know the box I'm talking about, right? The box where we, where we hold those things that in the past have caused us pain and heartache. It's the mementos of... Suffering and grudges and bitterness and anger. It's the the place where, where we put those things that we know have caused us pain, but for some reason or another we want to keep them as mementos because somehow it's strangely comforting to be able to go back to those and remember how we were wronged or whatever. It's like those breakup letters you get, the Dear John's. And you fold it up and you put it in the box and then you put the box somewhere where you hope nobody else can find it. You put it inside the closet or you put it under the bed or you take it out to the shed and you, you put it in one of your tool chest or something and, and you hold it there. And every now and then you go out and you open up the box and you look in, and you go, yeah, I was wounded. You fold it up, put it back. And what, what, what pleading prayer begins with is you and I going to our box and opening up the box, and listen, I'm not in any way suggesting that we, we march in there and we go, I'm going to get rid of my box. No, there, there is, a, there is, a, there is a, a sense of mourning, there's a sense of loss, there's a, a fear and intrepidation. You're walking in there, and it's almost a, it's almost a, a sense of, of, of brokenness in that you're saying to God, God, I can, I don't want to, but I need to. You know when you have to have a conversation with somebody that's a hard conversation? And on your way to their office or on your way to that conversation, there's a certain feeling that you get, this dread. That's the word. There's this dread and you're going, oh. That's, that's the way we, we often would approach God in this. Because we know what's in the box and somehow we've we've convinced ourselves that that we can throw stuff in the box or throw stuff in the closet and it's like okay we've got it hidden i guess i'll pull it out and let god see it guess what god's in the closet He's already there. He's already gone through your box. He's already read your diary. He knows all these things. So why would we be afraid to say, God, I am struggling with this relationship. God, I am struggling with this bitterness. God, I'm struggling with this sin. God, I'm struggling with this feeling of inadequacy or fear or brokenness. God, I'm struggling with, with, my, with, with my temper. I'm struggling. Why would we think that God doesn't know that already? And why would we be afraid if he is a father I'll tell you why. Because too many in this room has have had fathers that you could not say that to. And you're you're, you're equating what your daddy did with you to what God the Father will do with you. Now look, I know that this is, I just stepped into a I just stepped into a to a room here. I'm so grateful because I had a father who was a good father. I didn't have to get over that hurdle. I mean, we had hurdles, but for the most part, I've always had a father who was loving and, and kind, and he was present, and he was a provider. So, so my view of God the Father was, was, was whole. In fact, I, I was in college when I realized my dad really couldn't do anything, everything. No joke. I used to think, oh, my dad can do that. But I know in this room there are, there are people who your father just didn't do a good job at being a father. And because of that, you're holding that against God. Not holding that against God, but you're afraid that God will treat you the same way. See, this is where knowing the Scripture changes everything. Because you can go to the Scripture and you can read about the character of our Father. You can see that He is not just holy... But he's kind. I, this, this week I was reminded of, of the Hebrew word hesed. H-E-S-E-D. That's the transliteration of the Hebrew. Of his hesed word. Hesed love. So, so this is a word that describes the kind of love that had no English word. So actually a Bible translator had to make up a word to describe the, the meaning of this Hebrew word. And the best word that he could come up with is this. Loving kindness. I want you to think about that. The loving kindness of our Father. What do you think of when you hear loving kindness? I, 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 think, of a, I, I think of a father who, who is gentle and who's patient and is trustworthy and who likes to to have physical touch in terms of a hug or, a, or an embrace or arm around the shoulder. I, I, I think of someone who, who you can come in and say, I totally messed up, and he goes, you know what? I, I know. Let's talk about it. That's the Father that we have in God the Father. and we cannot unload our box if we think he's someone else than that but when you begin to see him as a loving kind father and you start to say to him god here is my here's my box here's the deepest wounds here's my fears you know what he does just like I would do with my girls or with my son. I would walk them through it. I wouldn't give them the answer. I would help them find the answer. Can I just tell you that that's the way our God operates? Sometimes we're frustrated frustrated because God doesn't fix it. Guess what? God's not going to fix it all the time. Sometimes He will. Sometimes He goes, you know what? You just need my grace. I'm going to take care of it. And then other times he goes, look, I'm not going to fix it for you. I'm going to give the grace that you need for today, and I'm going to help you figure it out. My kids hate it and love it that I do that with them. Because I won't give them, Hannah, am I right? I won't give them the answer. Why? Because I don't want to rob them of the joy of discovery. Guess what? God is not going to rob you of the joy of discovery either, because he's a good father. So we come to God just like David did. Yet I am poor and I'm needy. When is the last time you were broken? I don't even want to say it that way because that conjures up this this idea of of something that that we see in somebody else. When's the last time that you brought your box to God? Say, God, here's my box. See, we think that we have to have this, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm terrible. Now look, repentance isn't crying. Repentance is a heart that is in tune with God. And so repentance could be just a very logical conversation. Because after all, just think about it does God want you emotional or does he want you truthful? Give you a little hint sometimes emotion can cloud truth. Am I right? Because sometimes emotion can get all, you know, it feels something, but we never get to the. Tr- so so don't have this preset idea that you got to look this way. You got to do it this way. I got to be on my knees. I got to be in the corner. I got to have a dunce hat. What? No, just come before him. God, here is my box. And, if, you know, I said this this morning. I actually it, it was a I, I think it was a revelation just that, that happened on the fly. But I think the older I get, the more boxes I collect. What do you think? Is that true? The older you get, the more boxes you collect. And so you start hiding them all over the house. Before long, you have to have an entire room for your boxes. What if? What if God's purpose in your life today, I told you today could change the rest of your life. What if today was the day that you were able to start going through the boxes? By the way, it's not a one-and-done deal. It's not an easy process. It's, it's this recognition that, you know what, there's something more. There's something better that God has in store for our relationship. And what if you simply took one step today? God, I'm poor and needy. What if your step isn't even that far? What if your step is, God, I don't even recognize how poor and needy I am? You can do that if you see that He's a loving, kind Father. I'm gonna share with you something too that's that I learned this week that was super helpful. It it just helped clarify and clear up kind of, you know, how we live this, this faith out. It's called the grace account. Every day, God, His mercies are new every morning, right? So every day, we, I say we, like individually, you get an account, you get an account, you get one, and you get one, Ashley, and you get one, and you get one, and and you get one, and you get one, and and God gives each of us our own grace account. And He doesn't put the same amount of grace in every one. He gives us the grace we need for the day. There's not one ounce of grace more than we need. And there's not one ounce of grace less than we need. Because today I may need this much, tomorrow I may need a whole lot more. So today I have a grace account that God has supplied to me for the day. But how many of us don't really deal with today for today, but we're trying to deal with yesterday? Or we're trying to deal with tomorrow. And so we forget today. And today just comes and goes before we ever realize it. Anybody but me? Right? So here's what we do. God gives us grace for today in our grace account. And we use that grace as empowerment to forgive the past. We forgive yesterday. Both our failures and our successes. We forgive yesterday, and for tomorrow we do what the Scripture says in Matthew. We have faith. It says, don't not worry about your life, what you shall eat, what you shall wear, right? For tomorrow has enough worries of its own. So we're living in today with the grace that God gives us. Here's the powerful thing about this whole thought. The yesterdays or the todays are full of relational conflict. How many, would you, how many of you would agree that if you could just cut relational conflict out of your life, your life would be amazing? Anybody? I mean, if, if you didn't have to deal with people, how awesome would it be, right? And I'm talking about neighbors. I'm talking about people you work with. I'm talking about bosses. I'm talking about spouses even sometimes, right? I mean, not my spouse, but your spouse. I'm, I mean, <laughs> just saying. Kids, right? The the majority of our conflict comes from relational conflict. Here's an aha moment for me. In a relational conflict, there is a majority offender and a minority offender. When it comes to person to person, you are either the majority or you are the minority offender. But every human relationship is a reflection of... Of your own relationship with God your Father. And with God the Father, we are always the majority offender. You catch that? Here's how that works. Let's just say, uh, uh, let's say Bob, because Bob's easier to pick on. Let's say that I offend Bob. I do something that's offensive to him. I'm the majority offender. He's the minority offender, right? The way he normally deals with that, or I, I say normally, the way he might deal with that is by getting angry at me. He might send me a letter. He might just try to forgive me, whatever. But here's, here's, the, here's the, the, the amazing part about God. Every human conflict is God's grace to you and me, giving us a reflection of what it is that is between us and him. So what we have going on between us, conflict-wise, is actually a reflection of his relationship to God. See, here's the thing. He would not have been offended unless there was something that there was a reason for the offense. But God uses that to show in his life what it is that he needs to deal with when it comes to God. Does that make sense? So this changes everything. Because when I have a conflict with a person... I can deal with that, but I can first, instead of, dealing, instead of just making this relationship right, I can go to the Father and say, Father, our relationship's got something going on. What needs to happen? Does that make sense? So when you fight with your spouse, that's a reflection of your own relationship with God in some way. God's using that to reveal, to uncover, to unearth things that, that need to be reconciled with Him. And here's the beautiful part. Your grace account for today is enough grace to deal with both God and with the person. Wasn't that good? You can thank my friend Dan for that. When I heard that, I was like, oh, wow, boom, mind blown. So let's get back to this. So David cries out, yet I am poor and needy. He comes to the point where he unloads his box. And when he is naked... When he is clean, he then steps into the plead. Just as a wrestler prepares himself and then steps into the match, so we prepare ourselves and then step into the plead to prosecute the case, if you will, if you want to use those terms. The way we prosecute a case is twofold. We rely upon God's precepts. And upon his promises. And we prosecute the case not by our own wisdom or our own understanding, but we prosecute the case based on what the judge has already said. Happens every day in our courtrooms. In a courtroom, the evidence is given, but here's what the judges or here's what the the attorneys are looking for. They're looking for precedent, right? Right? They're looking for what the law says, not just precedent by what other courts have decided, but precedent in, okay, what does the law say? And if you stand before a judge, all the judge cares about is, what does the law say, right? He, can't, he cannot go, you know what, I, I know you've offended the law, but I feel sorry for you. Now, he, he might have some liber- some leeway in the, in, the, in the sentencing, but at the end of the day, he cannot just say guilty or not guilty based on how he feels. Why? Because there's a there's a law, right? So when we come before God, we present the case based on His precepts and His promises. You follow me? So what's a precept and what's a promise? A precept is a truth about God that He's made clear in His Word. Be very careful here, because you should not claim we should not claim a precept or a promise from God unless it really is a precept or a promise. Because the one thing that ticks me off more than anything else, almost more than anything else, is when somebody comes up and says, but you promised this. No, I didn't. Was that a little strong? I think so. How do you like it when people come in, they say, you promised such and such, and you go, I didn't promise that at all. Why is that an offense? Because it's an attack on your own integrity. Because it's basically calling you a liar. You're not doing what you said you would do. But now if somebody comes in and says, "Here's what you promised." Oh. Well, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to I have integrity, so I want to do what I said I'm going to do unless it relates to exercise things that my daughter wants to do. Then it's a then it's a different situation. For uh, those of you who don't know, my daughter likes to exercise, but she doesn't exercise like humans do. <laughs> She's like uh some I'm trying to think of uh, Armstrong. She's like, not Neil Armstrong. Who's the Armstrong that rode the bike? She's like, hey, you want to go biking? Sure, but can we do it Jeffrey style, not Neil Armstrong or Lance Armstrong style? She's like, but we're only going for two hours, 27 miles. Do you want your father to be dead? That's what's going to happen. You ever ridden a bike for 27 miles? Ain't pretty. Just saying. So when we come to God and we say, God... I'm laying out this case based on your precepts. We're not telling God something He doesn't know. We're actually simply demonstrating our belief in our faith in our trust in who He said He is. See, there's a difference in mentality there. We're not, we're not, we're not presenting the case because we're, we're trying to get God in a corner to make Him do something. We're presenting the case because as a, from a relationship perspective, we're saying, I believe you. I believe what you say. I trust you. And the more we, meet, we, we plead the case, the more God, I think, says, yeah, I think you're actually getting it. So a precept is a truth about God. It could be uh, His holiness, His kindness, His His discipline, His goodness, His faithfulness, His omniscience, His His, His power, all of these things. And we, we plead back to God using the precepts in His Word. But then we also have the promises. Now promises are different. A precept is a declaration of who God is. A promise is a guarantee of what He will do. He promised He'll never destroy the earth again by flood. How do we know that? Because we have a rainbow, right? So we can come before God. God, you promised, and I trust your promise. Now, I don't want to belabor the point. I feel like that's still a little bit squishy, but but just take it for this. When we come before God, we we are clean, we are holy, we are right because we confess our sin. The Bible says in 1 John, if we confess our sin, He's faithful, He's just. He'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We move into pleading, and we be, 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 we begin to present our case based on His precepts and based on His promises. And as we plead our case, what's actually happening is our hearts are becoming one or getting in line with His. Why does God want us to plead the case? Because He wants us to be as passionate about the things that He's passionate about as He is. I'll never, ever forget when this was most clear to me. A couple years ago, we were in Guatemala. There's a little 12 year old boy and he couldn't he, he couldn't see. And I saw the struggle and I saw the pain and I saw the the the, the difficulty. And so we, we his mother had brought him and she said he, he can't see. And I remember as I prayed for him, the prayers were were begging God whatever you have to do whatever, heal this boy's sight. And I remember praying a prayer that, that as, you know, you ever, you ever, as you're saying something, you're going, I'm not sure I want to say that. You ever know what I'm talking about? I was praying, and as I was praying, again, I'm not saying this is the right way to do it. I'm just saying this is what came out. I said, Lord, if you have to take away my sight to give it to him, do it. There was such a burden. I just couldn't sleep. I just couldn't move. Knowing. What he was going through. That is pleading. With God. So what is it that you plead with God for? What is it that you lay yourself before him. And you cry out to him. And you. You. Beg of him, God, only you. Normally, it's stuff that are life-threatening, isn't it? You have a child who is sick. You have a, a person who is, uh, who is in a desperate situation and you cry out to God. But what if, what if we pled for something even more important? What if we cried out to God for the souls of men? And this is where I want to land today. What if we began to plead with God that people in our circle of influence, in our life, would be saved? What if we grabbed a hold of God and said, God... I'm prosecuting this case. I am, I am saying to you, God, there's nothing I want more. Because I know there's nothing you want more than for this person to be a part of the family. What if we started praying specifically for people that way? Do you think it would make any difference? Who, who, who do you want to be saved So badly, so passionately, that you would be willing to pray for them every single day. Recognizing that it's not you, it's him. In your Bible, or excuse me, in your uh, worship guide, you have a card. It says, take the challenge, three, two, one. I'm asking you today to write down the names of three people who need to be saved. Three people who are not a part of God's family, who you want to see as part of God's family. So take a pen, a pencil. Yeah, if you need a card, raise your hand. We'll have right up here, guys. Anybody? Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Just kidding. Got some up here. Three people. Now, while you're while you're thinking of your three people, I actually uh, was challenged to do this a couple months ago, back during the summer. And um, I wrote three people down. The first person I wrote down. Um, the very next day, he called me, said, "Hey, let's go. Let's go do lunch." I hung up the phone. And I go, "Wow, that was fast." We went and had lunch, and the conversation went straight into a gospel conversation. And I told him, I said, do you know that you are that close to salvation? He goes, yeah, I know. I said, you're that close. All it takes is one little step. And I left that, I left that lunch really with, with just celebration. I mean, I was probably driving all over the road. I was so happy. Why? Because God answered the prayer. There are some people that you write down that God is going to answer the prayer like that. A day, a week, quickly. There are some people that you will need to pray for, for the next 50 years. I, I, I'm, I'm upset in my own heart because I forgot who it was, but I heard the story recently of a person um, who prayed for a list of people, and it wasn't until after his funeral, that the last person on his list trusted Christ. But the question is, will you pray? That's the question. The two is inviting the church. Here's why I put that on here. Because every single Sunday, I promise, if I'm preaching, you're going to hear the gospel at some point in the message and an invitation to trust in Jesus. Now, God's design is that you share the gospel where you are. But sometimes you need a little reinforcement. So I want to invite you to invite your friends or family, whoever, invite them to worship with you. Because after all, they still need a church anyhow, right? So you might as well let them belong before they believe. That's okay. Invite two people a week to to worship with you. And when you invite them, actually sit with them and actually be here with them. That, that's important. And then one person, we, we put these out before I, I i changed my thinking on it, but one person you share God's story with, one person you invite into the family a week. Let me ask you a question. Can you pray for three people a day to know Jesus? Yes or no? That's not impossible, is it? can you invite two people to church a week do you have enough friends do you run into people at the grocery store gas station let me ask you can you can you invite one person a week into the family of God that's doable right so this is our bucket one white ball every person you in, you uh, invite to worship with you So next Sunday when you come, during the worship time is a great time, or during the uh, 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 invitation time is a great time to do this. And the reason is it's an offering that you're giving to God. But you can do it before, you can do it afterwards. You invited someone to, to, I invited someone to church just last night. So I'm going to put my ball in. The orange, I shared the gospel with someone two days ago. Got to talk about Jesus. I invited them into God's family. That's an orange ball. And a blue ball. Is when somebody trusts in Jesus. And so what we're going to see over the next several months is. Are we really doing our five percent? Are we really doing what God called us to do? Now, I had a conversation with one of the people on staff. They're like, well, shouldn't we do a smaller bottle? Because what if, you know, what if people don't do it? And here's my answer. It was a great question, by the way, a very, very logical, good question. My answer was this. We need to know. We need to know. Here's what I'm telling you. There are going to be Sundays when you come in and you're going to be like, ooh, I didn't share with anybody, but I'm just going to go up and I'm going to do like a f- pay it forward kind of thing. I'm going to put a ball in and then I'll tell them the next day, don't do that. Don't do that, okay? Because nobody's looking at you judging your your love for Jesus based on whether or not you put a ping pong ball in. That's not what it's about. This is to be a joy, not a burden. So if you do, And there are going to be days when I'm going to be tempted because I every, I'm telling you, every Sunday I'm going to put... My ping-pong ball's in here so that you can see that your preacher's doing what he asks you to do. Otherwise, I'm a hypocrite. But there are going to be days when I come in and I'm going to be like, "Uh uh-oh. I didn't do that. But I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you, this week, I failed. That's really kind of strong. Maybe... Maybe something was going on and I was isolated on an island all week long. Right? Do you get my point? Let's not fake it. Let's just be honest about it. I'm hoping that we will get excited about seeing this thing filled up. And I'm hoping that we'll have a bunch of whites, a bunch of oranges. But I hope that this is the one we have to refill. Because that's what pleases the heart of God. This morning, I hope that you've taken the Word of God and you've let it shape your heart. I hope that today something that, that was said will be convicting and impactful. But I hope that today you didn't just get an information dump. I hope today you've, you've felt the urgency and the burden. I, I, I didn't finish the psalm because of time, but at the end of that, that verse 5 it says, Do not delay. You know, this week I was pleading with God for salvation for those walking through the box. I came in on, on Wednesday or Thursday and, and as I was walking through the box, I was just praying, begging God to, to, to convict of sin and to, to move into salvation. And, and I was asking him, Lord, just wrap your arms around the people who walk through here. And it dawned on me, you know, that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to love people so much that they're on our minds and on our hearts. And don't be be thinking that you do this and your life's just going to get easy. No, it's going to get harder. That's a sales pitch, right? You want to know why? Because you were declaring war on the enemy. You were saying, I refuse to any longer remain silent and stay on the fence battle is not yours it is the father's so you close your eyes and bow your heads with me i want to invite you in this place who is it that has not yet placed your faith in jesus christ the bible says it's by grace you're saved through faith not of your works you can't be good enough to be right with god but god has already taken care of that through the cross when jesus died he died So that the weight and the burden and the guilt of your sin was taken on by him. He was the substitute for your punishment. And the punishment that brought us peace gave him death. But praise be to God on the third day, Jesus Christ busted out of the grave. Because hell has no victory and death has no sting. And when Jesus came out of the grave, he declared once and for all, I am the King of kings and I am the Lord of lords. I've come that you might have life and might have it most abundantly. Who is it in this place who needs to trust Jesus Christ today? In a moment as we stand and sing, I want to invite you either to come and ask me to pray with you or give your life to him right where you are. But if you trust Jesus today... You need to let somebody know before you leave. Let us celebrate with you. This morning, does this need to be your church home? Do you need to make that official? This morning, do you need to trust Him in baptism? The next step of obedience. Will you stand with me? Father, thank you for this day. God, I pray that your presence would be so powerful and so obvious. Lord, move us. Lord, maybe somebody has already shared the gospel this week. Would you move them to the front to put a ball inside of the, the bottle? Maybe somebody's made some invites. Move them today too. Lord, I just pray that you'd have your way in Jesus.